hello, spooky spiders and uh, cuddly kittens. It's, it's the scary season. It fell apart quick. Yeah, I, did. <laughs> I know. I was kind of doing trying to do a Vincent Price thing. I thought it was going to be real fun. Yeah, uh, it is the, the season of the witch. I'm very Officially. happy. Yeah. Shocktober nine lightning clap. Uh, Thirty for ninety. If I was a more involved producer, I would put lightning in, but yeah, I'm not. Well, no, yeah, wh- why bother? It's fun <laughs> when we, we say that it'd be cool if there was a sound effect here, and one isn't. <laughs> and since you've probably listened to podcasts before, you assume that October means and Shocktober means that we're doing horror movies for the whole month. And you'd be correct, because we are basic like that. Except um, this month, we're doing all musicals! <laughs> <laughs> but look, yes, is it basic to always do horror movies in October? Probably. Yeah, uh, for sure. I would, pumpkin spice latte I, of yeah. all. <laughs> I would counter and say, yeah, we just... We, we do like horror we'd... movies all the time if we didn't limit it to October. Yeah, and there are a lot of podcasts that do that. Yeah, uh, but we jumped on this bandwagon early because we've been doing it for eight years. Yeah, so yeah. there's a lot of things. That Take are... it. Yeah, we got it. It wasn't basic then. Up. Yeah, exactly. Get off my rear. <laughs> I think three episodes in, we started October. Yeah, old men. I did like the year where we did a supersized one, where we did like September was like kind of quasi. We liked movies. it on paper. We it liked it in hindsight, tr- but when we did it, we were like, God, nine movies is a lot of horror. <laughs> it's, it's a lot, lot of scary. Oh, yeah, because it was a five-week September, Something October. Something like that, yeah. Yeah, God. So many horror movies. It was yeah. fun. It was fun, but y- you're absolutely right. More fun after and prior. Oddly enough, we haven't run out of horror movies. And no, it so turns out there's lots never of will. And Dalton has picked a good one. Um, so we are looking at uh, Day of the Dead from George A. Romero today. If you're tuning in for the very first time, welcome to the Good Trash Genre Cast. I am still Dustin. I am still Dalton. I am Arthur. And uh, we are it's here to Libra talk about season. the films Ooh. that you'll never discuss in a film says course, with the exception probably of this movie, which could come up in particular kinds of syllabi, horror-centric and whatnot. Sure. And those syllabi do float around quite a lot in the university setting. But that being said, we want to warn you that this is indeed an analysis show, not a review show, and that does mean we're going to spoil this film and find out exactly what happens and when the musical numbers begin, um, as uh, Arthur has already alluded. Uh, and how When uh, the zombies sing New York, New York, it is just a stunner. You know, what but... I really, really liked is when uh, the captain and Frankenstein um, got married at the end, and he became Frankenstein the Bride. Um, I think that was excellent. Well, I thought the number uh, about John's relationship with the helicopter, like, you know, like pilot to machine, mm-hmm. that's for me. I that, think, that Cronenbergian the moment there, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I do like this uh, fictional version of the movie we've created. Not Ray Liotta <laughs> rocking out to the Rolling Stones. God, that guy looks like, okay, here's here's what Rhodes gives me, okay? It's Michael Shannon smashed into Ray Liotta yeah. uh, with just like a, a dash uh, of uh, Brando. Just like a hint of it. Like a hint, like a sous-sens. Yeah, a sous-sens. Uh, Without <laughs> half the talent of any of them. I think he's good. He's we'll fun. get to the performances. But uh, as, as such, as an analysis show, we're going to avoid spoilers for the first part of the show. Well, synopsis from the voice of uh, Arthur Gordon. I almost called him the voice of the cinema. He still is the voice of the cinema to me. Always in my heart, Arthur. Um, he's going to give us that synopsis. Then we're going to do thumbs up, thumbs down reviews, which are going to be very, very gentle in the spoiler areas. Then once we get down uh, to uh, making up a fake syllabus, uh, expanding that syllabus, we will then be a little bit more spoiler intensive, intrusive, and then uh, all out spoilerhood happens once we get down to business. You've been warned. Yes, once the business has been gotten down to, we will be talking about all the gross stuff that happens in this movie. So I guess that's, uh, you know, if this movie's too gross for you, uh, that's okay. 
if hearing us talk about it's also too gross for you, then yeah, maybe that's the part to jump out because we'll talk about all the weird and gross gags uh, in that part of the show, I'm sure. It'll be good times, we promise. So, without any further ado, Arthur, can you um, delight us with that syllab- uh, syllabus? Uh, not a syllabus, synopsis. We'll get there, guys. We're going to get there. George A. Romero's Day of the Dead from 1985 was the third follow-up to Night of the and Dawn of the Dead. The The Dead trilogy uh, came to uh, Day of the Dead, and it was not as financially successful as its predecessors. Uh, but in the years since, of course, it has become a cult classic and is well-revered amongst fans. Uh, this time, uh, much like the other two, there is no through line other than the unknown uh, incident which has caused the dead to rise again and this time a small group of military officers and scientists dwell in an underground bunker as the world above is overrun by zombies that is what happens that is what happens and uh yeah zombie overrunning and that is going to be the uh inciting incident of this particular plot so let's just talk about our reactions to the film what do we think about it do we like it dalton picker of the film picker of the month yes uh, the nose picker in general and sometimes occasional guitar picker uh, not really i tried once or twice i just i don't have the patience for it i don't think fair enough it's but unfortunate can you talk about the movie more than guitar i most certainly can yeah so this was a pretty easy one to include uh, on the selections for this month you know when i was given the stipulation that all of our our horror selections uh, will have to be at least 30 years old uh seeing this was on canopy i was like oh yeah i, I need to because this is uh, the only romero movie well, the only Romero zombie movie, I think at least, that I had never seen all the way through, start to finish. You know, I'd seen bits and pieces of it a time or two, probably. Uh, but yeah, I never caught up with this one. I was very, very excited about it. Um, and I, I'm, by and large, uh, very glad uh, that this was the selection that was made. Uh, we've already alluded to this. I'll get this out of the way up top. Uh, the performances are a little hinky in this one, uh, which is unfortunate because I think uh, the performances are such a strength in this series of films, especially uh, in, in Dawn of the Dead. But even in Night of the Living Dead, there are some really great. There's you know there's performances that are a little bit more theatrical, right? Because it's the mid '60s, but I still think they're really really good. Uh, and in Dawn, they're pretty like reserved and naturalistic. And here, uh, there there's something amiss about some of them at times. Now I will say by about the halfway point of the film, I do kind of feel like either it, maybe it's the tone. Uh, or maybe it is just that uh, they were far enough into production that everybody kind of had like hit a, a groove or early enough in production that they weren't burnt out, whichever the case may be. But for whatever reason, by about the halfway mark, I did start to fall in love with some of the performances uh, because I think they do carry across this this tone that the film uh, has so well throughout it. And, and that is the mounting insanity, the cabin fever that is like beset these people. Uh, like Dr. Frankenstein, uh, Lloyd, Larry, we, we were just talking about Logan. 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 Dr. Logan like gives a monologue straight down the barrel of the damn camera lens at one point uh, when he's talking about his research, and I was just hooting and hollering. I absolutely loved it, and I think that's the moment where I was like, okay, these performances are not as you know nuanced as they are earlier in the franchise, but there's something to be had here. There's different pleasures to be had with this film. And I think uh, one of those is, is pacing. Arthur, I remember last year when we talked to Dawn of the Dead, you kind of took issue with the, the slow pace of that. And this one, although, you know, the zombie action is kind of constrained to the end of the film, plot-wise, as far as, you know, in characters and stakes uh, and themes, it's, it hits the ground running. It doesn't waste any damn time. And I really did appreciate about that about this one. Uh, the opening shot is, is something that I've seen aped so many times in the, you know, 28 Days Later and, and even, I think, the second Resident Evil movie. This really fantastic... Um, just look at a ghost town uh, that has been 
completely overrun by the dead. And I, that op- those opening moments really do uh, set up a, a film to be excited about, I think. And, and I, I, by and large, Romero follows through on that throughout. Um, I, I'm a fan of it. There's just some of the truly weirdest and grossest practical effects I've ever seen in this film. Uh, and, and it does... And I think because they keep them in their back pocket, you know, Don is doing stuff throughout. They're very proud of their ability to do bites right in the camera on Don. But here they really just take it to a whole different level that is truly beyond uh, and, and is weirdly appropriate in that, you know, this franchise that so succinctly captures the 60s, 70s, and 80s. Of course, it is the one from the 80s that has the most... Uh, largesse, that's not the word I'm looking for. Uh, although that wor- that works. Yeah, the, just the most go-for-broke bigness about it, uh, the most indulgent, uh, and the most zombie-indulging. Um, and I, I do think that there is a... There's something about the 80s that we take for granted now on our analysis of it, I feel like, that Romero was a little bit ahead of the curve on. Uh, ahead of the curve on it in such that... Uh, really does kind of predict the mood of the year 2020 in some ways that are unpleasant. That's right, it's a it's a, a pandemic shocktober, uh, unfortunately. And oh, God, no. Yeah, well, and Day of the Dead, Day of the Dead does certainly make you think about those questions and those problems, and I'm sure we'll crack all of that up when we get down to analysis. But yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan, despite some very, very poor accent choices that get made uh, that I'm sure we'll get to later. All right, well, thank you very much for that, Mr. Dalton Stewart. What do you think, Arthur? Do you like the Day of the Dead? Yeah, I was a bit hesitant about this one just because I had some reservations after we watched Dawn of the Dead. I wasn't super sold on it. I admired quite a bit about it. Um, So going into this, I was just a little uncertain. Um, But yeah, I I dug it. I dug it a lot. Um, I I feel like I I really connected this in a lot more than I did Dawn. I I think I like it a lot more. That's very interesting to to hear you say that. I kind of thought that might be the case, and I'm I'm glad to have that confirmed. This is your first watch as well? Yeah, I hadn't seen it before. Um, You know, and I hold Night on a different plane. I think Night is just one of the greats uh, of horror cinema and in film in general, I think, uh, especially when it lands. Um, And I think, you know, Romero kind of chasing that dragon of Mm. matching himself. and, And, you know, he's very successfully with both, I think, Dawn and Day. But I, I think Day is very polished in a lot of ways Dawn isn't. Yeah. I think it avoids some of the, the rabbit holes uh, that drag down Dawn of the Dead, like you mentioned, that pacing sure. stuff. I think it really tightens up a lot of elements. Uh, the performances were, I wasn't super off-put. You know, Sarah's a little wooden, stuff like that. But I, I was able to kind of excuse it because I think they master that tension of yeah. these dueling sides. Absolutely. The scientists, the military... You know, there's an explosive element introduced almost as soon as they return to the base. Oh, yeah, within the first yeah. 10 minutes. Of and, and the way that heightens the suspense of anything could happen. And yeah. I don't know what these characters will do because the way he threatens her, what he threatens her with yeah. is very uncomfortable. And I'm also of the mind space that they crafted villains that were willing to act that out. And we're, they and came we're very human, yeah, yeah, in that vileness. There's one character I'm thinking of that I'm sure you... you noticed as well arthur because he had big heel energy yeah if you know what i mean oh yeah he had real pro wrestler energy yeah and he goes for broke and yeah. unlikability yeah and there is a charm to him and that's why i said he has pro wrestler energy because yeah. he finds a way to bring humanity to that kind of vile character yeah. and i think that's true of most of the the villains of this yeah. piece both you know frankenstein and Rhodes. like there there yeah. is there's people underneath the characters and when the moments of the, of the acting don't necessarily shine i think yeah there there is something there still yeah 
Um, and I was really taken aback. I, you know, Dawn, I think, is a little more balanced with its zombie stuff. Obviously, Night is a lot more, I think, balanced as the zombie stuff kind of occurs through. Yeah. Uh, but saving that all kind of for that last two-thirds of this film, I think, really works because we really resonate with the human enemy, which I think, you know, in, in this kind of apocalyptic... Is alluded to in the earlier films, yeah. sure. And when you see something like The Mist, where yeah. when you put humans of different ideologies in a small group, it's a very combustible element. And for Romero to explore that idea is a lot of... Uh, fun, I think it makes for very compelling watching. Uh, I really like that. I, I think it looks good. There are a couple of editing things. There's a couple of weird edit cuts uh, in scene transitions that are weird. But yeah, if, you know, Frankenstein, Logan. I think he's a hoot. Uh, Bub, I love Bub. I, Bub I think is it's incredible. a very fascinating character, yes. and and how they play wow, with that. Such a good performance, yeah, too, man. Yeah, it is. And there's a lot to kind of ask of that to make that work. And uh, yeah, the, the actor really sells that and makes Bub work and come to life. And I think that's. Uh, to be heralded. Um, so yeah, I, I really don't have a lot of negative to say. I really do like this one. I think if I was going to go back to anything in the trilogy outside of Night, this would be it a, a little more yeah. frequently. Um, obviously, I haven't seen. I've seen Land of the Dead, but I haven't seen like Diary and some of those later ones. Oh, I made. have. I I have not seen the last one. I've yeah. seen Diary a couple of times. I didn't see the but the one in Survival. Yeah. I think is yeah. what that one's. So called. I haven't seen all. The, I've seen Land. Land's um, pretty okay. Yeah, it's it's fine. It's got its charms. I don't know. It's you know up to what we're doing here. It's a studio. It's, yeah, it's him. It's him getting to do it as like a studio picture. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um. But I I really appreciate. It. I think there's some really low. I like Bill. I like McDermott a lot. I think they're a fun pair. I, I like what the kind of brevity they add to the situation. I like the Ritz mm. uh, that they stay in their little yeah. tricked out RV with the yeah John's, uh, little paradise they've got. Yeah, they're grass shack. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's really cool. Well, that's that's why I, brought, I, do, I keep bringing up the accents because John and McDermott are the two characters that are like bringing as far as especially you know so much of this film is wrapped up in like explosive machismo, right? And the two of them are kind of this this energy that kind of cuts that a little bit. Yeah. And for them to be like the, the quote unquote like soulful or empathetic men in the picture um, and to have these two actors who are really good make really good choices but then do these accents that are wonky. Yeah. It, it just, yeah. that's It's why weird hearing it that up. voice from John. Like yeah. it's just a weird it's a It's an interesting choice. But yeah, they're yeah. both great. As you mentioned that early scene where the tension yeah. like immediately ratchets up. They're both so good. Yeah. In that scene. And that was the moment where I was like, all right, well I can get on board with these accents if like these, the choices they're making with their eyes are going to carry these yeah. performances. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I, I really dig all of that. Um, uh, Savini's work. I, I mean, mm. I think those effects, you know, the, the stuff he's doing, the stuff that they're doing in this, uh, especially in Frankenstein's lab, uh, is a hoot. Yeah. Uh, well, the thing, the Frankenstein's lab is fun, right? Because yeah. it's not too gross. Yeah. It, it's just, it kind of prepares you for what comes later. Yeah. And Savini's just having a ball, you tell. Yeah. With some of the stuff he's getting to design. Is Savini on this one too? It's Nicotero yes. and Savini both? Uh, Nicotero's just acting as far as yeah. the credits. Uh, Tom is Surely he had to. I think maybe he, he may have been begin apprenticing. Ah, uh, uh, there yeah. you go. Okay. He was probably apprenticing with, yeah. but yeah. That makes sense. Um, he so, is definitely a victim of some interesting effects. So oh, he would boy. definitely have some firsthand experience he gained there. Sure is. I don't want to get too into it right now, but I, I also like where this one ends and mm-hmm. where it goes. I appreciate that quite a bit about mm-hmm. it. So yeah, I, I was, you know, uh, tampered my expectations to begin, but I was really, really on board once it started. So yeah, a big fan. Very cool, very cool. Thank you very much to that, Mr. Arthur Gordon. I like this movie a lot. I had seen it before, and uh, just you've seen it a couple times, a couple you? times, yeah. yeah. So just hadn't seen Dawn uh, for whatever reason. Just hadn't got to it. Well, luckily, uh, when you don't have an interconnected trilogy, you can do that. Yeah, yeah I mean, because yeah. they do stand alone. I mean, it just is the middle of the immediate array of a zombie apocalypse, and so and I and I like that about the series. I think that it makes it 
in terms of franchise watching, yeah. the, the review I would give here is that it really does allow you to enter in at any given point. You could enter in at Land of the Dead and be fine, or Dawn of the Dead, or Night of the Living Dead. They're only living dead one time. I don't know what that's all about. But uh, probably because the zombies weren't a known thing yet, yeah. right? I mean, that's, you know, now that he's... It is interesting, you're right. Yeah. The change they, of the well, naming the, And the title hooks you at that point. Sure. But, well, and there's a Return of the Living Dead franchise that kind of taken oh, off that's and become true, popular. Yeah. I'm sure yeah. that's part of it. But uh, anyway, I mean, that's neither here nor there. The point is, is that the it is the moment of, you know, you're in the middle of it and it has just sort of begun. You don't know quite how many weeks or months this has gone on. Yeah, indeterminate. Long, length, enough, well, maybe not that long. Maybe not that long. I mean, it really could be very recent or it could be a few months. In. We really just don't know. But it is, this thing has happened and we are just now sort of. Uh, dealing with its ramifications. Mm. And I like that drop-in, that these stories, even though they're separated by their individual decades in terms of their style, in terms of the way they tell the story and what they're using, they, they seem like they could almost be uh, synchronous. They could all be mm. going on at the same yep. time. Totally. Like yep. Develop this weird headcanon where somewhere there's... Uh, I thought about this. I'm glad uh, you were talking ago, about it. Two weeks ago, some family on the farm you yeah. know, experienced what happened, and then the mall event happened. There is even a, an interesting little mall yeah, about joke. The shopping yep. malls are gone. Yeah. yeah, And Arthur made a comment uh, in his review that uh, Dustin, you're, I feel like you're kind of now teasing out. Uh, there is something about Day, especially when thinking about the rest of the series. There's something about Day that feels like a culmination of mm -hmm. both like style and subject matter and theme. Well, and I think the '80s is a moment of coalescence of sure. the horror genre that it became a thing um, at its apogee, and then it sort of reinvent as genres do, yeah. reinventing themselves. Well, they but make a great point in Faculty of Horror. They have a big supersized episode covering the trilogy, uh, and they make a great point about this one kind of coming during the explosion of the slasher genre, mm -hmm. right? Like it is. You're, you're right. It being an '80s horror movie. It's kind of interesting. So in terms of that, it does sort of, you know, reach its kind of apotheosis at that moment, which I think is good and uh, a good sort of experience watching the movie. Now, in terms of what's going on, yes, you're right. The acting is a little wonky. Um, yes, you kind of get weary of that Jamaican accent and of that quasi-Irish yeah. thing. Well, and I don't want to get too too in the weeds with it, but I'm sure we'll talk about uh, race in this film yeah. at, because it's such a a big feature of every film in this franchise right. explicitly a big part of the text in all of all of these films so the accent does ring really tin-eared yeah. in, in that regard i think for that it reason. reminds me of a joke i once made at a campfire with you dalton when we were talking about um different accents and doing mm. philosophy and somebody mm. mentioned something what would it sound like to be a rastafarian um, existentialist and hell is out of people, man. Yeah, I do you recall know, yeah. that. Yeah, and then 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 that was yeah. It's very t well. I watched this movie with Alex Sanchez, and that was he was like, I, I can't believe I'm going to say this, but I think it's, a, a, it's racist. I'm pretty sure it's a racist accent. I was we were both laughing about that. He's like, yeah, I've I've heard Christopher Fox do that bit of his, uh, where where he uh, does an accent, and I think it's better, and mm -hmm. that's upsetting. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, I exactly. It, it's, it, it is. And maybe it was just because I I've just gotten into this fraudsters uh, podcast series, a uh, podcast about, you know, blue white collar crimes and their their initial like inaugural series is on the Psychic Readers network, you mm -hmm. know, who who employed Miss Cleo as part of their grift. Nice. So maybe it was just because I just recently listened to that, but yeah, it Boy, did this accent distract me. I'm glad you mentioned it. Yeah, it, uh, it, it's problematic. It, it really makes me is. feel better to know that I was not alone and it like really kind of taken me out of it. And I don't know history. The actor himself may indeed be sure. of Jamaican oh, descent, yeah. but he's definitely turning it up. You know, um, He's definitely doing a cartoon thing, which 
might be a thing that's worth sort of mediating and mitigating yeah. some of what we're thinking about it. But, we're going to do it later. Yeah. But yeah, that, that, that's, again, we're just talking about initial reactions. I like the score, although I think sometimes some of the choices in the score are a little weird. Um, I love the score. I, I mean, knew you were going to talk about it. it. It's this thoroughly 80s, and it thoroughly situates the film right where it belongs in terms of its filmmaking. But there's a couple moments where, uh, you know, there's like a moment of sort of reflection, and it sounds almost like uh, what you might find in a meet-cute moment or... Uh, I remember that one. Yeah, she's yeah, yeah. gone kind of... Th- and it's like, it, 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 it's, it's um, tropey in a way that does not yeah, actually apply yep, to the yep, actual yep. situation. It's kind of soap opery almost, very yeah. melodramatic, yeah. Yeah, and it's not it's just not quite right here and yep. there. And it feels like maybe somebody composed a bunch of stuff yeah. and they just threw, threw it on. But boy, when it does work, it works oh, well. Yeah, man. It's got some real kind of carpenter notes to it it feels like to me. Absolutely. Um set design, I mean just whatever this facility is, uh, the, the the cave sections of it, the uh, sort of uh, whatever facility. Yeah, it's had to be a set, right? It has to be. I uh, mean, they actually found a mine. It wasn't on a soundstage. They found a mine oh, with either shit. like Virginia or West Virginia or Phil- Pennsylvania sense. somewhere. They found an somewhere actual in cold mine. country. Yep. Well, there you go. That's why it looks so damn. It, it, it looks amazing, and it's good choices there. Uh, the Frankenstein's lab uh, with its cruciform uh, backdrop uh, for our our poor departed bub who is um, still walking uh, is fascinating as well. And so I like a lot of that. I like the performances of Bub, as we've mentioned, and uh, when these characters sort of just go for, go ham, like you said, that's bad when the first thirty minutes of the movie is playing, and then once you realize what kind of movie you're in. And the way that over the topness works, yeah. Like then suddenly I go with it. Yeah, it is kind of that as the cabin fever of the story does kind of reach a fever pitch. You're right. Like those performances do start to make a lot of sense. Right. It's like oh well, these aren't even real people anymore. They're they're yeah. something else. They've yeah. become something else. Yeah. And so you know even Romero is using them as symbols, and weirdly they in a way that works for me at least. Uh, yeah, they do as people start to become kind of characters of themselves and so right. yeah, they're they're all performing these these roles that are very uh, I don't know tropey I guess I'll tropey, use that since yeah. you brought that word up already yeah, yeah. I, I think it's a good way to sort of frame it I mean I think about the performance of Dr. Logan slash Frankenstein yeah. which is exhausting at first and then you're like oh yeah well that makes sense though right he truly again some of his monologues are wow. just spectacular yeah they're they're, they're super wow but uh, yeah I, I think the screenplay itself is well written um, the pacing of the film is fantastic um, I like all the choices that are made to sort of hold the zombies back, as we've already mentioned. Mm-hmm. So I think all of that really, really works, and I think it makes for a very, very enjoyable, very, very memorable film. And it's one that gets in your blood. It really does. I mean, I found myself driving past an airport uh, just today, and I saw a little section of the airport that had a chain link fence and the uh, you know reverse angle barbed wire up the side of it, and a handful of buildings within. And I thought I could make it in there. And I, thought, I, I swear to God, dude, I had the same thought driving here because I drove past a a, a solar panel farm, uh, and there was a, it was in like an industrial park, so there's also some you know refineries behind mm-hmm. it, and I was like, man, that's a vista for a movie that takes place at, at a, you know the breakdown of society. That's, right. that's the scenery, and, and and that's the way that sort of and again it really does capture the imagination yeah. just as a concept, and so well, and again, yeah, we're here over thirty years later, still talking about zombie stuff, and I think. Dave probably has uh, more to do with that, uh, more credit, it deserves more credit for that than it gets probably. I right? think so. Because, yeah, it is where the, the things that we take for granted, things like The Walking Dead, right? The human factor is such an assumed component of kind of like modern zombie stuff that you're right, Dustin. That's 
there's some good, there's some stuff going on. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So yeah, I enthusiastically endorse this pick. Well done, Dalton. So moving right along, uh, dear listeners, we're going to expand the syllabus, which is a mental exercise in which we pretend like we're teaching a college class. And in that college class, we're going to use this film as a text for a module or major section of the class, and then we add to this film what else we would augment it with, what themes, maybe what course, and how we're applying and approaching that subject matter. I go to you first, Arthur. What what would you do to expand the syllabus using Day of the Dead? Yeah, I think I'd spend some time and maybe you could do like a post-apocalyptic or dystopian literature class or film class uh, or some kind of genre study like that, I think. Uh, but I'm, I'm really fascinated by the man's fear of lost dominion over Earth mm. and kind of what that looks like. When you've been at the top of the food chain for as long as humans have been, there's really only two kind of existential fears you have left. Other humans or losing your spot at the top of the food chain. Yeah. And that really becomes a heavy through line, I think, in horror and science fiction it's, you know, for decades. It's interesting. We kind of alluded to this very loosely uh, when we talked about Olympus Has Fallen the other day, or the other week. Yeah. Right? This this idea of that, that great fear in the back of our minds uh, and our discomfort with a change, uh, a, a drastic change yeah. in our the status quo, in our level of comfort. Yeah. And, you know, the, the great thing about the thesis of this film is, is constantly, you know, what do we do if we get out, right? Mm. I mean, we're outnumbered 400,000 to one. There's, you know, we've lost our shot to fight them off. It's it's how do we come back from this as a society? Uh, and I think it's a fascinating thesis for this to look at. And so I kind of want to work around that. Uh, so I'm going to start with Richard Matheson. I want to look at I Am Legend, the book. Mm. Nice. Um, Excellent. Which I think is the kind of big e pairing here uh kind of discussing that that role of man losing his position yeah it's the ur text for this yeah. kind of story yeah uh, sure. and so i would look at the book and then i would look at the movie uh the will smith version uh as well as uh looking at the alternate ending there which does kind of hold a little truer to matheson's vision i, think. I agree um so i'd actually have him watch the theatrical we'd watch the alternate ending and then just kind of do some comparison analysis and stuff like that with that um from there i think i would do uh, I want to talk about Independence Day. We talk a lot about the animals uprising, the dead coming back, but aliens are the other kind of factor in here. So I yeah. think Independence Day plays with that idea as well uh, and how we can battle an outsider threat that we're not familiar with. Um, I'd also look at Jurassic, the Jurassic World trilogy. Um, oh, interesting. Yeah, because yeah. the way that the last one, I can't remember, what, Fallen World? Yeah. Is that the last the one? way in which they're becoming Planet of the Apes. Yeah. 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 And, you know, that movie ends with the dinosaurs getting into the free world. Yeah. Uh, which is, assumingly, the next Jurassic World is going to be them trying to overtake the, the dinosaurs that live in their suburbs or whatever. One can assume. Yeah. yeah I, I think that's the natural progression of that. And I think there's, you Velociraptors know, in the suburbs. I just love it as an idea. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. I'm a big fan. Have you met the new neighbors? <laughs> <laughs> they, 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 they live like animals. The Velociraptors well, coming this fall to CBS. Well, now I can tell based on this conversation. Obviously, I know this about the two of you already, but this conversation is is great proof that you both grew up in the country. Because if you did grow up in the suburbs like me, you know that they are already uh, lousy with Velociraptors. <laughs> Truly. Um, but yeah, you know, if it's not man or aliens and man's own hubris of creating something that will overthrow them, there you have is it. the next great threat. Uh, and then from there, you've already mentioned it, uh, I would go with the rise of the Planet of the Apes and the original Planet of the Apes to kind of look at that as well, kind of seeing the uprising as well as seeing the the fallout of that uprising. Uh, just because I think it is fascinating, man's pride, man's uh, energies, hum humankind's energies to try to play God and uh, 
further themselves and what that can entail if they if they go down the wrong uh, rabbit trail. And I think it's just interesting uh, through line in, in kind of apocalyptic mm-hmm. dystopian uh, literature and cinema. Very cool. Are you familiar with the Netflix series Zoo? I, I don't know if it's a Netflix series. I, or I think Netflix. it was an NBC and the Netflix yeah, picked the, the, it up. I'm, I'm familiar. I thought about that. I hadn't seen it, though, because it's based off of a Richard, no. Patterson. Patterson book. Uh, Patterson so I was doing kind of a Crichton thing. Yeah. Yeah, but the animals escape and kind of return very, to the suburbs. Very similar yeah. kind of thing, yeah. And they sort of organize, and human beings are sort of the uh, invasive species yeah. that they're trying to eliminate, and they're working together. Yeah. Which is... Sounds like a documentary. <laughs> <laughs> it's fascinating. But I don't know if it's good. Yeah, but it's it's on topic is yeah. all I'm saying. Yeah, I had it in the back of my head, but like I, I hadn't seen it, so I didn't want to throw it in there. I haven't decided if it's good or not. It's fun. I'm leaning. Yeah, it's definitely fun, but I don't know about the rest. It's good trash. It, it's definitely trash. <laughs> <laughs> well, Hard to say what kind. Uh, yeah, fun yeah. trash. Yeah, the, the fun uh, trash on the cast. jury is still out. Yeah, but okay. Well, that's great. I love that, Arthur. What do you say, Dalton? How would you expand the syllabus using Day of the Dead? Well, I had initially thought of this as, as Arthur was thinking. You know, that class kind of being a, a unit of a larger course. Uh, I was kind of initially thinking this would be that too, um, but I've ended up with a lot of movies, so hard to say. But I, we're definitely going to kind of look at um, micro level uh, sociology uh, in film, specifically like character interactions, uh, civility. Uh, is a big, big part of the ideas in Dawn of the Day of the Dead, rather. Uh, and, and I think it's going to be interesting to, to look at some films where that kind of uh, human-level interaction, uh, people becoming uh, characters of themselves, right? Uh, this These roles that we take on, these roles that we adapt and, and mold based on the situations that we're in uh, are something that are, are really... I mean, the bedrock of cinema, honestly. that's It's acting. Acting is the thing that makes movies happen, right? Like, for everything else that's going on, um, it, it, it is the performance uh, of the people holding the gaze of the camera that it kind of makes or breaks things. And I think horror is a genre uh, where we talk about performance a lot, and obviously performance does not get the credit it deserves when it comes to the horror genre uh, and the you know the filmmaking uh, public Uh, so i I think it'll be really interesting to look at horror and and look at you know human interaction within horror uh the idea of uh, well well, it's the sociology of not being a dick within horror films Uh, and again i think you could look at other genres of film and maybe this would be a a smaller section of larger class Uh, but you know you could definitely look at uh, a big sampling of, of cinema uh, and go, well, you know, these different genres deal with human interaction uh, and, you know, the the molding of a persona in different ways. But I think horror is going to be the interesting one. And specifically, we're going to be kind of keying in on manners uh, again, because civility is stated uh, so many times uh, in Day of the Dead. And I think, again, so many horror films kind of dabble in this. Right. The uh, we talk about horror frequently being one of the more conservative genres out there. And I think this is a place where it's conservatism is less of like a social conservatism, right? That's usually what people think of when they talk about conservatism and also as it is in fil- in horror films. You know, we think about the ways, you know, uh, the, the rules of slasher films, right? You know, the people that get punished in slasher films is what we usually tend to think about. Uh, but here, you know, horror's conservatism is about decorum, which I find in- interesting, right? In our, in our modern political world, uh, civility uh, is definitely not something that, uh, or decorum especially, is not something that we see in conservative politics, right? There is a, a willingness, and honestly, uh, I hate to admit it, a, a political uh, strategy that's really good uh, when it comes to obliterating decorum. If you want to do what you want to do, that's a, a good move. 
So again, I think it's interesting looking at horror as a quote-unquote conservative genre to see civility and decorum being kind of hallmarks, being the high watermark of of human uh, personality and horror a lot. So we're going to look at kind of how this uh, works in a few different uh, settings. We'll look at Midsommar, you know, uh, strangers in a strange land, tourists uh, visiting a different culture, right? Uh, We're going to be kind of talking about uh, social mores and how they they change from culture to culture, right? Moral relativism is a hot button topic uh, in in both you know philo- philosophy and, and social sciences. So I think it'll be kind of interesting for that. Uh, we'll also be looking at Troll Two, uh, another film nice. in which, yeah, again, a very goofy film, but one in which breaking uh, the rules of a of a town of a you know an insular community. Um, they have that has their own rules and their own decorums, and yeah, it's mostly centered around eating people or turning them into plants first. But uh, yeah, hospitality and the appearance of hospitality and the receptiveness to hospitality are a big part of that film. Dalton, yes, Arthur. We don't piss on hospitality. I know you won't. You do not allow it. I, I will not allow, allow it. Arthur has thrown me over his shoulder more than once uh, to take me into my room for being a naughty, naughty little scamp. Uh, but yeah, again, and I think Midsommar and Troll Two fit really well just together. Painted an interesting picture of our relationship. Yeah, I know. I just have a, a metal picture that's going a different direction. It's good, good head cannon for the audience. Uh, yeah, no, I, I think those two fit together really well in an interesting way. We'll also be looking at work, how, how these dynamics play on the workplace with the Thing and Alien. Um, how, how do uh, you conduct yourself with the people that you know you you make your bread with? Uh, very interesting questions in both of those. Uh, we'll also look at the Mist. Uh, and the hunt uh, from this year, the, the the Twitter movie. It's not very good, but I think it's really interesting for this conversation. I think the Mist, the Hunt, and Day of the Dead, especially because they are uh, kind of about uh, interpersonal grievances reaching an apocalyptic level. Uh, it does all become about the other and the smashing of the other uh, and the jockeying for dominance and position and and a world gone uh, feral. Uh, and so those are the films we'll be looking at. Um, Oh, and finally, uh, I, I couldn't think of another... Oh, I guess it, I do have another one. Man, no. Uh, we're going to look at family dynamics uh, and look at the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. You could probably lump that one with Midsommar and Trolls, uh, Troll 2 as well in terms of just strangers in strange lands, right? But I think the family component of, of Texas Chainsaw Massacre is ugh, very important to it uh, and very interesting. So, yeah, that's, that's kind of what the course looks like, is just kind of examining... Uh, the way characters interact in those films and kind of how that can uh, apply to the way we interact with each other in society, uh, you know, examining uh, the way characters behave in film, the way real people react in real life, uh, where those two meet and how they influence each other, that sort of stuff. Dustin, what are you thinking about? I am thinking about a class that would kind of dovetail fairly well into your class, Ooh, okay. Dalton. It might be a module or a subsection in some sort of sociology and film class. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely looking at society, but specifically, I'm thinking about the breakdown. We do live thereof. in one. We do live in a society, mm. and uh, the breakdown. Yeah, I, of I've, I've heard that I could ask your son all about that. Oh, He's man. a real expert on the he society really, we live under, in. Yeah, he really understands exactly how the world works. Well, he's turned sixteen, so of course he's a communist revolutionary, as we all are at sixteen oh, years old. Man, no, I don't know what he is. Um, <laughs> a dipshit. Yeah, correct. Yeah, um, uh, we call that brown pilled. <laughs> brown pilled. But anyway, uh, what what happens when again people become isolated from? Uh, governments, law enforcement, systems of justice, and what that power vacuum of, again, sort of 
partly polite society does, but beyond just politeness, just standard protections, how you know the weak and rights yeah. and civil, you know, um, really civil authority, not civility, yes, as much as how one can be a civilian, yeah, 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 in, in that kind of world. And I and I do think what happens inside the bunker of Day of the Dead is where you have this little quasi, you know, social experiment of these scientists with a particular set of values, these uh, military uh, types with a specific set of values. Yeah, calls to mind Zimbardo uh, and the Stanford Prison Experiment, for right, sure, yeah, right? Having guns, right? Yeah. yeah. It, those, so movies that are wrestling with those kinds of questions. One of the first ones I want to select is an ill, not ill-seen, underseen, hmm. um, little gem, I think, from 2001 called The Hole, starring a very, very young Kieran Nightingly. It is a British psychological drama in which a group of kids decide—they're going to go hide in a, for a weekend in a nuclear bunker and uh, just have a party. They're just going to party, and then the key is lost. This sounds and, awesome. And they're stuck down there. And maybe the key's not actually lost. <sighs> maybe oh. it was planned, but um, again, it just becomes. <sighs> You know the the the, the breakdown society people begin to fall into yeah. these various sort of character types and uh, survival of the fittest and what I want and you know my needs versus your needs. Somebody's hoarding Coca Cola. It's a major plot point so in the funny. film uh, because they're starving. Yeah, and uh, it, it it's insane uh, the whole thing and the whole thing may be planned. It may be a ruse. Maybe in somebody's head. Uh, there's a whole lot going on with the movie, but it's a delightful little thriller. And, again, very, very underseen, and I recommend The Hole very highly. Uh, the other film I would recommend, along with this uh, accompanying uh, novel from which it's adapted, is Lord of the Flies. And I'm looking yeah, at the course. 1961 Lord of the Flies. And, again, this breakdown society, these kids you know, are on a boat, and they crash land on an island, and they form their own society. And it is a very, very sort of tribalistic, uh, the strong, the weak, those kinds of questions are being wrestled with and what they become in the meantime as they do so. Lastly, going back to the islands, I think Lost would be uh, some select episodes of Lost and okay. the various sure. John Locke I as a character you. type. Yeah, yeah. I'm just saying. Uh, there, There's a whole lot of things going on there in individual episodes of Lost. And just think about how do you repatriate a society when there are no, uh, again, sort of uh, restraining uh, components to what keeps people behaving mm -hmm. and how does one find new ways towards uh, again protections and rights and privacy and all of those kinds of things um, and when those things begin to break down I think it'd be fun to wrestle with all those questions throughout in a course like that and again the Stanford prison experiment being uh, a major sort of case study that's gonna be part of that curriculum as sure. well so there you go dear listener your syllabus just got considerably longer. Good times had by none. Enough of this. I believe it's now time to get down to business. It's business. It's business time. I don't know what you're trying to say. You're trying to say it's Now smart part of show, me talk pretty. Good. We live in a society. We sure do. <laughs> you know, it's it, I, I mentioned The Mist, uh, and you know I've been hot under my collar lately uh, with all the GD'd QAnon uh, blown up on the internet. I've been real hot under the collar about evangel uh, evangelism uh, and uh, it turning into a gateway drug for QAnon. Uh, it's interesting. That's just not really a factor in here. You know, the mist again. I, I mentioned being part of the theoretical framework of that class. Uh, that's such a huge component of that ap apocalyptic film, right? And you know, uh, transdimensional monsters and and the, and the smoke is not too dissimilar from a zombie film. It's more or less the same beats. So it's interesting to me here that. 
Instead, Miller is concerned, uh, I mean, Miller, Romero is concerned less with, and, you know, religion enters into night and dawn a little bit. Yeah. And even here with John, you know, he kind of does make some... And Miguel seems to be a man of faith in some regard. He wears his yeah, rosaries, rosaries and, right. and stuff. Exactly. And John kind of does talk philosophically yep. about the conditions that they're in. Some sort of deist. That they're in yeah. hell yeah. of some sort. Exactly. Yeah. Being but, punished. Yeah, by and large, this film is more about... Uh, it, it's less concerned with religion or ideology and, and, or theology and more concerned with power and will right, uh, and, and order uh, and you know the hierarchies. Yeah, the hierarchies and their breakdown. And you can see sort of the um, decades um, of the films speak to specific issues of the decade. And sure. so, you know, there is a way in which the silent generation and the willingness to exert violence in a uh, sort of, uh, sort of looking for, a, a, a grouping type. I was going to say a class type, but I don't necessarily mean financial class, mm-hmm. but the way in which uh, we can, uh, the, the, the killing of the black man at the very end of the film. I mean, there's oh, a, the end of Night of the Living Dead. Night of yeah. the Living Dead. Like it, it's it's sort of like lynching and those kind of mobs and the civil rights movement, uh, Vietnam War. Like all of those things are are, are strongly yeah. at play. Marginalized demographics are are fighting heavily for you know equality and and recognition. Right. You've got the, yeah. the start of uh, you know the tra- the LGBTQ rights. Yeah, exactly. The civil rights uh, of the '60s and. And Vietnam protests, and yeah, very much a film of its time that right. Way. And in the same way, Dawn of the Dead is very much sort of this, you know, growing yuppie culture, late seventies, cons- late seventies co- consumer capitalism, uh, the, the the North consumer society, kind of head of the society. curve on Hollywood on that one, right? Because yeah. Hollywood doesn't start talking about that until you know further into the next decade. And then here we go into the eighties, and I don't know to what extent this is so much an eighties issue per se, but it does become. Very much an issue about power and will and those kinds of things. Well, I mean, this is this is where right the militarization of the police really starts in earnest, right? Mm-hmm. This is the we're right in the midst of the drug war in '85, yeah. the kind of the crack cocaine the early. St- well, we haven't really crested, I guess. Uh, I think if you look at that as a you know a historical moment, you'd probably say things really reach a peak in like '88 to '92, probably. Mm-hmm. But '85, then things are. On. They're cooking, yeah. They're gone. It's, it's on. We're off to the race. I think, what, Escobar's still alive mm-hmm. at that point? I mean, it's very prescient. I mean, the it, whole series But is. again, I bring it up because military authority, especially military authority outside of conventional warfare, does really kind of start to dominate consciousness in 1985. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, both, you know, dominating current events, but also what people are thinking and talking about. And it's uh, terrorism, as we understand it, and, you know, post uh, nation-state conflicts, all that stuff. Again, we talked about a lot on Olympus Has Fallen. This is really becoming a, a thing in the late 70s and kind of reaching a, a new fever, fever, fervor? New fervor <laughs> in, in 85. Right, for sure, for sure. And so, yeah, we're, we're sort of approaching that kind of uh, different discussion. So I, I was I was wanting to just contextualize it. So. Sure, I, but you talking about the decades, I thought it, it was relevant to bring that up because I yeah. think there's a very of-its-time thing going for on. For sure, and, and I think I think Land of the Dead is also doing the war on terror thing sure. in, in fascinating ways as well. So we, we continue to see that progression of these particular films. Now, back to your initial issue and, and question that you raised, mm. discussing violence and power. I mean, that is exactly what it's about. It's who has the guns, who has the most guns, who are the most people with guns, our people versus your people, those kinds of conflicts and the ways in which uh, those groupings are created that we have sort of a meathead group mm-hmm. and we have an intellectual group and they're just going to Well, kill and each then other. we have yeah. John and McDermott who exist somewhere in the middle, right? Yeah. Who are useful because of their 
trade skills, basically, right? They they know how to do things that nobody else knows how to do. And yeah, sure, the scientists also know how to do things that nobody else knows how to do, but there's a practicality to John yeah. be, to being a helicopter pilot and to McDermott knowing the radio. Communications, yeah. Exactly. Uh, and then, as you said, Dustin, yeah, then, of course, the jocks have all the guns. And it's interesting for John and Rhodes, I think, to be the two characters that most readily understand the stakes and the dynamics of the situation, right? Because I, I think both um, Frankenstein and Sarah uh, do believe in, in their own different ways and then the other male scientist, the younger guy, uh, all, all three of them think that, well, if, you know, we can just, like, use logic and smarts and... If we can solve the problem. Yeah. Yeah, sure. That works out great all the time, always. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can always talk reason to people that are unreasonable and pointing guns at you. Sure. And, and But it is interesting, right, to to watch them from a, you know, ideological standpoint, I guess, be so sure that things will work out. To mm-hmm. be so sure that they can talk reason. I think it's... John is so interesting in his uh, the way that characters is written and used in the film to to try and make the case to Sarah and the other scientists that this it's not what's going on right now that that kind of uh thinking doesn't really exist anymore is sort of the case he's trying to make to them right well i, I it comes back to what i think the film does is it makes mm-hmm. will McAvoy's point in the first episode of the newsroom about well, can you go ahead and give us that line about I believe it's if gosh we just referenced this recently I think it's if, if liberals are so smart how come they lose so goddamn always yeah I think is what it is I think it's so effing smart but yeah uh, that's you're right yeah yeah but I, and I didn't want to say those words there we uh, but yeah, yeah. there is a, a, a neoliberalism for I mean obviously God, you hate to throw that word around sometimes if I'm being honest it's just because it, it colors the conversation going forward. But there is that sort of centrism to the right. scientists that I think makes sense, and it's very practical. It is. Well, here's the thing I think the movie does that's interesting is it explains why they lose so always. and They it, don't understand the conversation that's actually being had behind yeah, the conversation. Exactly, and that's yeah. why McDermott and John as characters are not going along with it because the other guys, they're never going to go along with any sort of rational, mediated... They know the guns will come out eventually. Yeah, they know their guns are going to come out eventually, and unless you are going to frame your research, your science, you you can talk all the civility, you can talk all the decorum you want, you can talk all the science and the advances and a little bit more time in the research that you want, but unless you are going to demonstrate clearly the, you know, brass tacks, boots on the ground, sort of practicalities of what's happening here... And have that as your agenda rather than pure discovery. Mm-hmm. No one is going to care. Well, look, uh, stainless steel forty fours under either arm is a damn mood. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, I yeah, Rhodes is, uh, and John says this right. Like, well, that's the problem with people, right? They have different ideas of what should be going on in the world. Or I, I can't even remember yeah. the exact line. I'm, par- I'm paraphrasing, but something to that effect. Yeah, clearly Rhodes is not interested in the same pursuits as the uh, the scientific team. Well, you wonder why liberals and conservatives can't talk to each other. This is why. There it is. They're, they're, they're talking past each other, and of course they're not listening. That's And, and, and I think that's really the, the way in which the left loses so always. I mean, that's why, because they— Well, they, let's not equate uh, liberals with the left just because we well, live in America, baby. Well, left American politics, let's sure. just say that. No. Um, 
well, no. majority anyway. American. Le- okay, anyway, you know, yeah. I get what you're saying. You know what I mean. I just want to complicate the conversation because that's how I am. Yeah, uh, well, and you're not wrong. But the point I think still remains, though. That's why is is that the left? What they tend to do, and again, I mean the Democrats, not the left. Left, mm. um, per your your correction, and your, which is valid, is that they uh, have intellectualized and they have uh, ivory towered their entire flank of conversation and then when people don't want to come up to their tower to you know hold court with them and have conversation they wonder why they lose elections they wonder why people aren't voting that's exactly the same kind of idea um why this thing sort of fails seems to be very applicable to you know contemporary politics in our contemporary moment oh truly and that's the thing that's so i mean baffling is not the right word uh but really is so capturing. Dustin, I think it was you that said this film gets in your blood. And I think more than... Of course, Dawn and Knight, you know, do, as, as we talked about already, feel very of their time, right? They feel very important of their moment. This film film feels prescient in a way those other two do not. Uh, and maybe it is just because of the, the year that that is. Uh, that, that might be coloring our, our read for sure, but it, it does certainly seem to speak to... Problems that were just on the horizon when this film was made and had not quite come to fruition just yet. Uh, it's very interesting. Yeah, for sure. How do we feel like this film fits in kind of the zombie genre, right? We've, we've talked a lot about the, the politics of this film already, and it's not surprising to me that we got there early. Um, how do we feel like this fits in Dustin? I, a long time ago, when we first started doing this show, you wrote uh, a piece for a collection uh, of uh, uh, writings and essays about the zombie genre. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think you kind of dealt specifically with the walking dead and kind of the theology, uh, going on in that show. Um, wh- where do we feel like, uh, this kind of fits within the genre? Obviously it's a big, important one in its way, but uh, I think it's kind of situated interestingly in it, I guess that's just where, where are we at with it? It does seem to be much more about, um, well, I mean, it's, it's making a big transitional move about humanizing the zombies, the mm-hmm. ways in which, the zombie itself becomes other, right? And so, you know, you shoot him in the head, that's how you stop him. I mean, we're gleefully doing that by the time Dawn of the Dead rolls around. Yeah. And uh, there's, and you know, the way in which you can create a convenient other. And this is, you know, you see this in video games, right? Zombies and Nazis, you can always shoot without, you know, any yeah. sort of remorse or, or, or what have you. And so that's that's a video game trope that you, you run into oftentimes. And it's sort of a way to get Sometimes around. Sometimes both at once. Yeah, and, and you can sort of get around um, the moral ambiguities of that kind of violence. And this begins to play at the idea that the others that you have othered, they may be people too. I mean, it does something that really, I, I, I kept thinking about The Matrix when I watched this movie. Uh, because yeah. the, the idea that all, all these people are dangerous and a possible threat that an Asian could use them at any time, but also they're just human beings that are jacked into this system that can't get out. That there, there's a way in which this situates itself that the... the sure, you might have to kill a zombie to protect yourself, but don't think that the lights aren't on and nobody... The lights are on and nobody's home. There's right. something in there. There's something in there, and you are taking something away from the universe when you do that. Yeah. You know, despite, you know, the deadness of the zombies and the sort sure. of rules of, you know, that particular generic formulation. So that's one way I would situate it. What do you have, Arthur? One of the things I've been thinking about is, you know, I think Knight really does a great job of... Introducing the concept, right? Here's like, here's a really fun horror idea. It's a siege film where everybody's dead. And, you know, there's some fun with that. And we get some of that human story that really drives, I think, Day of the Dead. 
you know, we have those kind of interpersonal relationships and, and conflicts within the house mm-hmm. um, between the protag and then the white the white guy who doesn't want to go down in the basement or whatever. Yeah. Uh, the upstairs boss or whatever yeah. he calls himself. Yeah. They and then him. I think Dawn of the Dead really kind of relishes living in this world. You know, what does a ghost deserted world look like? Yeah. And I think what Day of the Dead does is really focused back on that human conflict, mm. which I think drives the best movies and stories of the genre. I think of Shaun of the Dead. I think of uh, the Dawn of the Dead remake. I think of 28 Days Later, which are all very human stories uh, using this setting as a, a backdrop to help drive the conflict at the heart. And I think what it does is it allows, to, it, it, I think, further cements the genre uh, and... and strengthens the the finer tropes which are the the character dramas that play out in these scenarios and i think that's you know i know Shaun of the dead apes a lot of zombie films but it, yeah. it really heavily apes day of the dead the the kind of yeah famous last scenes here with roads and stuff like the that. gore effects yeah, yeah. specifically it, yeah. it referenced those and it feels those. like day of the dead is more of a complete product and the the genre as a whole has aped itself more off of Day of the Dead, which is kind of this, uh, what's, I can't think of the word, when when two ideas... Synthesis. Syn- yeah, it feels there like that go. synthesis of yeah. both Dawn and Night. And Dustin mentioned that earlier, right? Uh, that This is kind of, it feels like an apotheosis of yeah. this culmination of, yep. of these ideas that, uh, I, almost, I keep wanting to call him Miller, because George, yeah. uh, that Romero has been playing around with for, you know, almost three de- two decades at the point that he makes this movie. Um the things you guys have said have kind of made me think, though, and again, this being sort of this culmination for, for Romero and this genre, it is interesting that the complicating the other of the zombie and the and the human conflict, uh, you know, again, both of these are things that you two touched on, it, it does really lift the veil on, on the fun of the zombie genre in an interesting way, because even... Um, especially the 78 Dawn of the Dead, but even Zack Snyder's Dawn of the Dead, they do deal with the fun, right, of, of no more rules, just right, uh, of, of playing in a shopping mall. Well, Zombieland, right? Exactly, I mean, Zombieland. Yeah, yeah the, the theme park vibe yeah. of, of, like, ah, now now America... We get to play golf with Bill Murray. Or... The mask is off of America. Now yeah. we're all just running around with guns, and it's PUBG or Fortnite. It's, all, it's America Battle Royale, and we're all doing what we want to do, and it's a great time. And, and Day of the Dead pushes back on that and says, does that really sound like that fun of a time to you? There's a shelf life on that kind of experience. And it's when there's only X a number of people and you all have to start working together because you have no other option other than impending doom. I and, think that's, and, and personalities start to clash. Yeah, and I think that's the great thing of Day of the Dead. is It's not how do we come back from this, you know, what does that look like? It's we accept, how long do we have and when do we accept We that? accept that our time is over. And that's and what I really we, appreciate about with it? the yeah. end of this film. Because it's not hopeful. It's peaceful. Yeah, it's peaceful, but it's, it's yeah. we've accepted it's our death fate. acceptance. Yeah. And, hey, we're going to live out our, our life as best we can knowing our, our days are numbered. Well, and it's hard to do something like that, right, without being nihilistic, without being... Because this film does have a nihilism to it that I really enjoy. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I like that about the film. Yeah. But I don't think it revels in that too much. Because as you're right, as you said, Arthur, I'm so glad you brought that ending up. Because that was a note that I had here for us to talk about was, is is the end of this film hopeful? And I, I agree with you. I don't think it is. But, but it's peaceful. And it's it's pleasant. It, it is a... Uh, it ends on a light note. 
but yeah. it isn't necessarily hopeful. It it is a it's an acceptance. Yeah, and I I really appreciate that that there's yeah. no, you know, we're not going to overcome this. There's no cure. We haven't found a way to reverse engineer the the vaccines or yeah, you know, I'm or just going to fish and, with my two boyfriends from yeah. now on. And there's no like rug pull like oh there's a zombie on the island. I mean there yeah. may be, but we don't need to know that. That's I mean, right. Yeah. Let these characters have their moment and enjoy those days in the shade. And it is really, I think, the only... Because Dawn of the Dead does kind of end on... They begin with the chopper, and they escape, and it just kind of fizzles out, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but we have no you know, idea where no hope. Exactly. Yeah. It is kind of a cliffhanger ending. And yeah. this, yeah, it does feel like a culminate... Like, that's it. This end, fiend, it really does feel complete. Uh, in a way that none of Romero's other zombie films really do. I guess Night does really kind of feel complete. It kind of alludes to the zombie outbreak being quelled for now. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, Land kind of ends on a, and their adventures continued, and I think Diary does too. So this film does, yeah, as you said, Arthur, feel like an ending of, like, yeah, these three people escaped, and they're going to, you know, punch their clock until it's time to be done, just like the rest of us. And I think that's what I like so much about this film, is it is kind of an acceptance of, yeah, this is just life, dude. Like, mm-hmm. it is just a grind, and it is people just trying to fucking eat each other always. Uh, and all you can do is find a way to make your peace. Find uh, your bliss wherever that, it find is. Find your bliss in that world. Yeah. yeah. It's a great movie, man. I think one of the things the movie does also is it makes a sort of diagnosis about, well, what you were talking about with your syllabus was mm-hmm. civility. That civility is simply a veneer. That How far will it get you? It, yeah. it won't get you very far. And it's only convenient because it gets you a ways in a, situa- in a society with structures, mores, and you know a system of economics, a system of law enforcement, and if that those things are removed, there's no reason to be nice anymore. Yeah. And so that's why um, women are always there's always very few female characters in these kind of films, and there's always this sort of uh, sexual predation threat mm-hmm. that that sort of is lurking around them at all times. And racism well, sort it, of makes it yeah. an ugly comeback. Right? And here's so much. You know, they again, you're absolutely right, Dustin. That other apocalyptic stories have played with racism uh, and the. Uh, the threat of gendered violence. I feel like Day does it so much better than really any other film I've ever seen uh, because the racism is right up front. The the implied sexual violence is right up front. It is all on the table, but it's it's dealt with in this film in, in such a way that never feels too exploitative. Maybe like a slur or two too many, mm-hmm. but yeah. really I feel like the film does it, has a good handle on it. Because you're absolutely right, Dustin. It, it is examining that, that veneer of polite society, uh, especially as it pertains to being polite when you have a boot on your neck. How do you pick and choose your battles for when you're in it? What hills do you die on? Mm-hmm. And what, what hills do you, do you uh, retreat from? And I, I think John and Sarah talk a lot about that throughout the film. Because, again, as, as you said, Rhodes has accepted that the, the masks are off. I, this is who I am. I'm, I'm a jack-booted, gun-toting psycho, and I'm in charge. Uh, and say what you will about Rose, he's honest. Yeah. He says who he is. And that's what you can be thankful for for fascists, is they always do tell you pretty up front that they're a fascist. What they're about. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and Maya Angelou always said, when somebody tells you who they are, always believe them. Truly. Truly. And I think that's... It's interesting, though, that Rhodes does kind of end up being one of the performances of the movie, for me, anyway. I think he's fantastic. Uh, I mean, I think he's up there with Arlie Henry, right? From, uh, what's that his name? From, uh, uh, oh my God, Full Metal Jacket. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Arlie Henry. Yeah, as, yeah, Arlie Henry is his name. Yeah. yeah, as like great military villains. Yeah, just an actor who's so good at making you hate them. Well, like, I've that, seen a lot of, you know, 
bad guys, and mm-hmm. they have a good charisma, but, you know, you just hate, like, actively loathe this guy. Rhodes is vile. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and he does it so well. Yeah. Well, it's, and again, it's the look, it's the hair, the costume. Yeah. It's all, this dude is, is a, is a cartoon character. Yeah. Uh, and I, I mean that as a compliment to the yeah. film and a dig on the character. Right. Uh, and, and again, like his hate is so pure and so all consuming that when he dies, apparently an ad libbed line, which is very cool. The, the, the actor choke on, it. choke on him. Oh, yeah. Choke on him. I love it. Like this character is so hateful that even in death, yeah. his his only thought is how can he uh, inconvenience his enemy? Mm-hmm. How can he punish uh, people who do not succumb to his will? Well, and I, I think what's interesting here is that, you know, the film, you might be tempted, you know, to watch this movie in the 21st century mm. and see all these racist lines and all these sexist, you know, jives and, those, mm. you know, sort of uh, machismo, you know, stuff going on. But, I mean, if you got, I mean, if you're not paying attention, this movie is clear that that is awful. Yeah, all those guys that we've talked about get their literal skulls pulled off, mm-hmm. get their, get by, pulled apart at the, at their squishiest most yeah. jointiest bits yeah the, the film is definitively not okay with all of that stuff and I, you're absolutely right Dustin I, I think I don't know even if you are using 20th, 21st century eyes I think the film does a pretty good job of, of stating its morality right and I, I, I simply say that to say that you know there's a way in which sometimes people's like we want to avoid you know I mean we're in, we're in a moment right now which is sure. great where people are like okay, re-examining we, let's culture. name racism and let's see it and let's, let's, let's ferret it out wherever it is let's name sexism wherever it is and uh, when people are being sexist, let's call them out. When people are being racist, let's call them out. Yeah. And, and I'm all for it. But um, I, I, I just want to just throw out, you know, that perception is that you can actually make a film. And I think you can make this movie in 2020. Oh, man, this movie. Ooh, yeah. You could make this movie with the same kinds of epithets. Sure. Being delivered. Probably about the same amount, too. And the, yeah, about the yeah, same proportions, yeah. Yeah, not too, too many. And, and, but to do so... And I, I worry that a movie like this, people would miss it. Right? Yeah, it's hard to say. It, I think it'd go either way. Yeah, but you're you're absolutely right. It it, it is hard to say uh, because just because something has that sort of object, objectionable content doesn't mean it's objectionable objectionable in and of itself. It's not endorsing. Yeah, yeah. but just because something is engaging with that doesn't also, also doesn't mean that it's genius. Right. Mm-hmm. Plenty of yeah. stuff tries to engage with racism and falls flat on its face and is embarrassing and cringy and everybody goes ooh. I, you know, I go ooh in this film, but in a way that I'm pretty sure I'm supposed to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that's the difference. It's yeah. it's a, it's a yeah, it's a razor's edge to walk as far as dealing with social conflict uh, on film. I, I I don't know. I'd be scared to do it, especially like this. This film, uh, you know, is tropey right in its portrayal of John as this kind. Of, he's a magical black man. Let's mm-hmm. let's. It's not. It, Ken Forey and, and I, I don't have the name of the actor that plays John right here, but Ken Forey from Dawn of the Dead uh, and this character, this actor here, uh, it, are both probably the same amount of icky as a character, I guess. Maybe this character a little bit more because of the accent. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, th- this film isn't without its shortcomings in dealing with this, right? And that's why I brought up that it is a, it's a tightrope to walk if you're going to deal with this stuff because as soon as you explicitly tell the audience you're supposed to be thinking about this. That's all they're going to think about. It's hard not to, especially when so much of the film is dealing directly with it. Uh, yeah, it's a scary It's a scary thing, especially, uh, I think, because this is a film 
rare in American cinema that is so critical of the military and is so critical of, uh, of armed force. Um, that's a really, uh, I mean, again, that's, there's a reason this is an independent film, right? Mm-hmm. This is not the type of movie that gets financed by a studio because of how critical it is of conventional uh, American narratives. Right, for sure. For sure, because yeah, it, it begins to just say, you know, this is what's this is really the powers that be. This mm-hmm. is what lies behind. This is this is all we have to fall back upon, and it's just pure force, and it is brute and blunt, and uh, without compassion, and uh, you know, strongly problematic. I mean, I saw Frank Zappa quote the other day saying that um, politics is just the uh, entertainment division of the military industrial complex. Fuck, that's funny <laughs> and true. <laughs> and, Good job, Frank. Yeah, I love me some Frank Zappa anyway. Um, but yeah, I mean, that, that, that's sort of the applicable idea, I think, here. Is like it's indoor, just, just saying this is really what it comes down to, bedrock-wise, yeah. you know. Truly, and I think that's the, the thing that's so interesting about Romero's politics, is that it does understand at the end of the day it's about the number of guns. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is, again, interesting, because when you, we, you alluded to this very early up at the top of the show, Dustin, but when kind of an a- anarchistic situation enters in, uh, in cinema, right? It, there is an assumption of an immediate uh, falling into people's worst impulses. Right. And I think Romero's politics show that, no, that comes later. Uh, both in the end of the film Dawn of the Dead and kind of the runtime of this film, it does kind of show there's a honeymoon period uh, where that lack of hierarchy is liberating for everyone. It, it takes until somebody realizes there is an opening for things to really go sideways. Yeah. And I think that's very that's something very I find very interesting about his politics because I don't know, you see a lot of uh, assumptions in our culture that the the lack of hierarchy, the lack of con- uh conventional social order uh will immediately breed chaos and violence, right? And I, you know, I don't I don't personally that's find that's a necessary, you know. Yeah, I don't I don't personally think that that's true. I do think though that it does as with the existence of all humans does create the potential for uh, force to be used by bad actors. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I, again, I think Romero's analysis is really, really nuanced and interesting, even when it does kind of falter. Uh, for sure. That's just what I wanted. Uh, yeah. That's kind of what you got me thinking of, uh, kind of talking about the, the ways in which this film kind of engages with problematic or controversial subject matter, uh, which leads me to, I think, I don't know if we have anything else we want to talk about. The thing that I want to talk about is uh, let's, as people who I think, I know I consider myself a little bit of a gore hound. I don't know about the two of you. I think maybe a little bit. I do like the horror gore. Yeah. Um, This is a gross movie. Oh, man, yeah. Uh, It's icky. So I want to say, do we, one, have a case to make for this this level of violence in film, um, uh, other than how cool the practical effects are? Because I think from a craft standpoint, that's undeniable. The things that they do in this film are... Uh, incredible and it is hard to see the seams they are very convincing uh practical gore effects um so i guess number one do you have a favorite gore gag you know kill set piece that one that just like really made you go holy crap that was interesting uh and two i do you do you think there is a defense for this level of violence in film well, I do like the very last. You know, there's a couple of these sort of guy pinned down, um, you know. Torn to pieces. Torn to pieces. But particularly the gut opening of Rhodes there at the end. I, I do. That Arthur alluded to is referenced in uh, Shaun, Shaun of the, the Dead. Dead. Yeah. yeah. And, I, and I do think it's iconic for obvious reasons. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's very, very disturbing. But I, I, was, I would make the argument for violence here that I've made before. 
that this kind of violence and this kind of dismembering, no one is going to watch this and say, I want to do that. Yeah. As opposed to Sleepy Bullets in the Dark Knight movie and then people want to be the Joker, which has happened yeah. uh, in a theater. Yeah. Uh, that's a thing that actually does occur. And it, it's a different animal when the violence itself is as gross as it's supposed to be, as it, well, as yeah. it would be. This film has the rare uh, person committing suicide on camera. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I was going to say gag. Uh, just effect. Yeah. And that's uh, what... Full Metal Jacket, which you referenced earlier, right. Arthur. That's no, the only other. You. There's yeah. not a lot of movies that do that, but most movies shy. Even very violent R-rated films will usually shy away from yeah, that. Yeah, you image. cut away and you hear the gunshot because it's such an upsetting and unpleasant yeah. image. I think the Lodge, the Lodge. Oh, the it. Lodge is a bad one. Yeah, or well, a good one, I guess, depending effective on effective one. Effective one. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. So, Arthur, what, what about you? I think for me, okay, so I I, I wasn't really too bothered by it so i guess i'll make this part for it. I, yeah. I never felt like it was gratuitous mm-hmm. or superfluous to the extent that there are a lot of times gory films are gory just to try to get a rise out of the audience you know just to try yeah. to Even shock you and disgust you and i don't feel like that's what's the case here. i feel like mm-hmm. all of it fits the narrative i feel like it all has a reason all has a purpose i think for me the most affecting one is the simple her chopping off Miguel's arm. Yeah, when she incredible. puts that machete in his, I was like, uh, 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 I couldn't watch it because like yeah. that to me is something very like somebody getting cut, somebody getting it's realistic is a lot more impactful than you know a neck being ripped yeah. off. My favorite though is the disculled brain still in the oh, sergeant's yeah. body or whatever on the gurney in his lab. In the lab. Yeah, I think that's just, the funniest yeah, thing. He's just like amygdala and brainstem yeah, or whatever. It's just the most amusing thing to me. It's goofy. Yeah, yeah it's silly, but it's also kind of very funny. I would defend this film's violence and for the same in the same ways and for the same reasons I would defend violence and you know a, a particularly upsetting film about uh, war right uh, or about genocide. Um, this level of violence is important when you are talking about that kind of all-encompassing, uh, oppressive uh, authority of the end of a gun. Kind, mm-hmm. kind of story. I think that level of violence is necessary because that's the level of violence that's being threatened. Right, and if that's the level of violence that's being threatened, we know through reality of human history what the stakes are. There is a there are documented ways in which people behave when that are, those are the stakes, and and those are the interactions that are being had, uh, and the will to power is that all encompassing by a, uh, a group or an ideology. So yeah, I, I think the violence is good there. For me, I the the lost Belushi brother. You guys know which character I'm talking about. He's one of the uh, Rhodes is. Like soldiers, soldiers yeah. is like one of his primary guys. He's one that does a lot of cackling. Rickles, maybe. Yeah. yeah, I think maybe it's Rickles. He, yeah. he looked like a Belushi to me. Oh, okay, the one that hung out with Steel. Yeah, yeah, the one that hangs out with Steel. Yeah. Gotcha. When that guy dies, yeah, he gets a hand like in his his eye socket, and then like they pull his head apart. Holy shit! Yeah, that's that's an upsetting image. Yeah, uh, mm-hmm. and then I would say Arthur, uh, similarly to you in the Miguel's amputation, the shovel. Uh, yeah. that Mc, uh, McDermott used. Oh, boy, that's an yeah. that That one, I went, oh, well, that was cool. Uh, and then, The eyeball still looking when they leave is a great Such gag. a good gag. That's like a fun gag, and then the Rickles being pulled apart, his noggin being pulled That's a not ooh, fun gag. I'm yeah. always amused when the uh, that kind of effect is used, where you slide something in half and get to see the interior. Yeah, I think like of Resident Evil yeah. or uh, Final Destination does this in one of the sequels. Like, to see the kind of inner working of the body, which I think it's just inner Well, and again, that's the thing that's so interesting or so impressive about this is, you know, those films you just mentioned used CGI for that gag. Yeah. And these, they built a cross-section yep. of a person or an organ, right? Like, mm-hmm. cool stuff. Yeah, very cool. 
I know, yeah, I like it. I like it very much. And I think, again, there's a usefulness to it because I think it's supposed to be grotesque. And, like, if you yeah. dismember a body, it's going to be bad. Yeah, it's going to be icky. And so, yeah, be, be grossed out now so you don't try it at home. And there's no encouragement to do so. Mm-mm. All right, well, let's render a verdict on uh, Day of the Dead. What do we say? Shelf or trash? What do you say, Arthur? Oh, shelf, easy. I, I have multiple reasons. This is easily shelfable. Very good. What do you say, Dalton? Yeah, I'm so glad I finally caught up with this and watched all the way through. I, I think it is... Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and, and say it. Not being hyperbolic, this is the best zombie movie, period. Oh, wow. It is the the text for understanding what zombies as a movie monster are about, uh, for what understanding what this kind of story can be and how it operates. I think it's perfect because it really does balance character character work and, and horror thrills and theme uh, and, and scares. Wow. And it's got a lot of good laughs, too. It does. It does. All right, well, thank you for that. Um, I'm not quite as hot on it as you are, but I'm definitely saying shelf. I like it a lot, and I think it's definitely a worthy conversation to be had. So, okay, Dalton, well, you're um, on. All right, well, hi, listener. Uh, it is Shocktober, our favorite time of, of the year, our favorite season, uh, season of frights and delights. Uh, thank you for joining us here at the start of this marathon. We will be looking at more films. Uh, but first, it's time for the plugs. Uh, if, if you like this show and want to keep up to date with us and you're already on the internet, you can go to Twitter at good underscore trash uh, and follow our network. Um, mostly we're just tweeting about movie news, sharing links to other shows uh, from our collaborators, that kind of stuff. Uh, it's a fun time, though, and you can hit us up if you have questions about the show, suggestions, recommendations, that sort of thing. If you have long-form feedback, you can email us, goodtrashgenrecast at gmail.com. Um, if you don't have a podcast app or, you know, you're at a desktop, for, I don't know, if you want to listen to the show outside of an app, you can go to the website, goodtrashmedia.com. We've also got some written articles there. Uh, look, it's like a, there's like, what, five years of content over there? It's a lot. Yeah. The, look, could the website use a retooling? Man, yeah, probably. It's a little disorganized, but there's a lot of shit over there. Uh, and again, you can always listen in the browser. Uh, lots of written articles. GoodTrashMedia.com. Uh, if you want to help us keep the lights on, it's Patreon.com forward slash GTM. Uh, give us some money. You can listen to Dustin and I go through a Monster of the Week campaign led by Arthur. Uh, and finally, uh, we're, uh, I, th- I think when you listen to this, we'll now be on Spotify. Is that right, Arthur? I don't know. Okay. Maybe. Maybe we'll we will happens. be. We'll see what Hopefully, happens. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. We're working on it. Look, I, I say it to say, rate, review, subscribe. You know the deal. You listen to podcasts. Tell somebody you like about the show, that sort of thing. Uh, if you kind of like our general deal, our whole energy, uh, I don't know, maybe check out some of the other, uh, shows that, you know, people we work with make. Uh, you can check out The Praise Down with Heath and Alex, uh, a show about contemporary Christian music and culture from uh, two boys that were raised in the church but are no longer in it. It's a great, great show. Uh, you can also join their Discord server. If, if you want to watch the movies that we watch for the show with me, I do that a lot uh, over in the Praise Down Discord server. Go to their Twitter, the Praise Down, uh, at the Praise Down on Twitter. Uh, they've got it as their pinned tweet. You can join the, the Discord server. It's a great time. We'll hang out. It's a good community. We talk about uh, movies and hard times uh, and weird bumper stickers we saw and fun food we made. Animals. It's great. It's a good, nice place to be on the internet if you, you need something less stressful. Uh, and then also uh, the, the Wheel of Randy, uh, in which our, uh, the incredible, uh, very talented Dan Wade uh, talks about the, the music career of one Randy Newman, the great American songster. Uh, they spin a wheel. They pick a song. It's great stuff. So anyway, those are the social media plugs. And normally, Arthur, I would throw to you. Or Dustin would make a joke about how we've harangued him into doing another episode, right? 
And we have harangued him into doing another episode. That's what we normally would do. But, yeah, we're already there. We're already there. And normally Arthur would tell you what's next. But I got to pick. Yay! Woo! It's my birthday month. Uh, Libra season. If you keep getting picks this good, we'll let you keep doing it. Well, I hope you like this next one because it is something of a, a horror classic. Another big franchise entry, but not a sequel. This is the starter of a franchise that... Uh, well, was still running as of fairly recently, I think. I think they did a remake not long ago. It is Toby Hooper's directed, Steven Spielberg produced, but maybe also directed, Poltergeist, uh, starring Coach himself. Right? Yeah. yeah that's Craig yep. Nelson's coach, right? Yeah. Okay, yeah. I'm very excited about this one. Have you guys seen this? Yes. I've seen it, yeah. Okay, so just Many for me. times. I'm super excited I've about it. I've seen it once. Look, if, you, if you're ready for us to talk about how America's one big graveyard, stay tuned. It's going to be that kind of episode. So there you go, dear listener. You keep watching, we'll keep talking, and we'll see you all next time. <laughs> <laughs>